0: Hello and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell, I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field, so please visit wcaps.org regularly for more details.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the VIVE Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this cold winter evening. My name is Lisa Arias and I'm standing in for Bonnie Jenkins tonight. Today we have a pl- the pleasure of having Ileana Vadia join us. Ileana is a powerhouse. She's worn many hats throughout her career, including serving as an enterprise risk consultant at Deloitte, where she did financial analysis and management consulting um, and worked at the United States Bureau of Prisons, Federal Communications Commission, and J.P. Morgan Chase, all while also serving on the executive board of the Association of Latino Professionals for America. She is a committed human rights activist and aspires to move the women's empowerment agenda forward. Ileana, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: So to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your background,
0: where are you from? Sure. So I have a little bit of a unique background. My family is originally from El Salvador, and they migrated early in the 80s, and so a lot- perspective of being a a woman of color uh, stems from that background and I began as a consultant to the federal government doing financial analysis work um, and mainly focusing more on private sector and the reason it was I sort of fell upon this career path because I uh, had to work uh, full time while also attending school full time in the evenings. And so that is where I didn't really have much of a broad understanding of career uh, opportunities in past the moment. And, uh, and working with a lot of folks at the time that were business professional, it was something that I was striving for at the time. And I did have the opportunity to engage and interact with a lot of um, government counterparts, uh, understanding what it's like to work for the you alongside the federal government. And it, it actually allowed me to have a little bit of a hybrid um, understanding of, of working for the private sector uh, as at a consulting firm, but at the same time also being a bit mission-driven and being a public servant while working alongside uh, the federal federal government employees. And it was my stint at Deloitte that I realized that what I was doing wasn't necessarily fulfilling me in the way that I wanted to, and that was when I decided to do a little bit of a career pivot, and the opportunity came up for me to move to Nicaragua. Uh, to do social advocacy work. I really had no idea what was in store for me at the time. I just knew that I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to get more international exposure. And I know I also wanted to to work on on a mission and to feel more fulfillment with the work that I was doing. And uh, eventually that led me to get my master's degree in international relations. and um, And here I am today doing doing a little bit of international development, international security work, and I'm excited to share a little bit uh, more on what my trajectory has been like.
1: So I want to ask you about this career pivot. You mentioned that you'd worked through school, that you didn't really have a clear sense of the options available to you. I think when we're talking about career pivot, it can be a very risky endeavor, even if you do have all of that figured out. So I'm wondering how you thought about that shift and what led you to commit to it.
0: So I started, I I felt, and I still feel, that I started my career quite early. Yeah, I didn't have such a traditional route where I went to school, did internships, and then went through the whole uh, job search. In a sense, it was a little bit easier for me while being challenging at the same time because I did work full-time during the day, and I did, Go to school in the evening. So by the time I did graduate, I did I had uh, a good solid resume that allowed me to smooth um, to transition a bit smoother to a more professional, so to speak, uh, opportunity. And so when by the time that I realized that this is was well, this wasn't something I was passionate about, I have had I did have a. Quite a trajectory, but it didn't feel as though because I didn't really have the opportunity to choose what I really wanted to do. I just I just went with the opportunities at hand at the time. So when I realized that that I wasn't fulfilled and I was more mission driven, and then I wanted to learn a little bit more about my culture, actually, that was an, another reason why I decided to to do Latin America out of all the regions. I wanted to learn a little bit more. Um, I It was more the need to pursue personal interest than really what I felt in terms of it being a risk. So if anything, I think... Um, it didn't feel as risky. I think everyone around me at the time, including my parents were completely worried about me and they were, they, they weren't really um, they weren't really that gung-ho about the idea of me doing that. But for me, it was more, it was harder and more painful to continue on the more, the more Um, traditional or more uh, safe route, the safer route than it was to venture out on something that I knew I really wanted to do.
1: So you mentioned that your family is from El Salvador. How did your personal background impact the way that you conceptualize of the work you were doing in Nicaragua?
0: So it really allowed me to understand what what it was like to be from that country. Granted, I didn't grow up living in el salvador but i grew up traveling there all the time i went from from hating it as a child to really enjoying it as a teenager to loving it as an adult and to really understand what my parents and my family has have had to do to get ahead and the reasons that they had for migrating, and so a lot of this really allowed me to give a very unique perspective that a lot of my colleagues that were mainly white Americans didn't really have quite of the understanding. They had more the the education, the theory, the the um, the academics, but they didn't quite understand it from the perspective that I did. So I I really that that made me unique and it allowed me to give a very unique perspective.
1: What's something that you wish people understood more about the region? As I'm sure you know, it's in the news a whole lot and it's a very polarizing subject. Being there, what did you learn that you wish would permeate the mainstream?
0: I wish people truly understood the, the reasons why people migrate and the reasons and the true, the the true um, pull and push factors that are behind all of this. Everyone that comes here, you know, isn't isn't a criminal. Uh, these are very hardworking people. People that sacrifice a lot. You know, if if people can imagine what it's like to. To have to go to another country, sometimes you know, from a from an American culture perspective, people do it because they want to and they want to be exposed. But even that transition is very hard. So even if you can only imagine what it must be like for someone who doesn't wish to do this, but needs to do this for either economic reasons or to secure safety for their children and a, a, a stable financial future for their children.
1: Do you feel that the way that you think about foreign policy has shifted significantly after your time abroad?
0: It definitely has. It, it really allowed me to understand it from a more academic point of view. When I arrived in Nicaragua, I had a more um, anecdotal perspective. And though it's valuable, but it, it being there really allowed me to to develop more of that academic lens that I really needed and continue to need as as I continue my career in foreign policy in in kind of understanding what is feasible and, and what are some of the viable solutions to some of these issues.
1: And as you tried to figure out your career path, both in the business world and financial world, but also in the foreign policy world now, are there any role models that you've looked up up to that have helped guide you?
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me this same question, but a lot of the Latino community in some of the larger cities like, you know, Washington, D.C., and you can even, you know, say also um, California, Los Angeles, uh, some folks are the first in their family to aspire to get an education and to even pursue one, and I'm no exception. So so really, I didn't really have many people within my immediate uh, community that I – truly say that i looked up to i have looked up to a lot of uh you know family members even my own parents in terms of resiliency uh but it was it it, then um as i continued on with with my life and with my environment and the new environment i was forging i began to value and truly understand that the people that are that you know, people that I can look up to don't have to be people that I know personally. They can be people that I you know, that I have heard or read about. And uh, one of the women that I truly have that I look up to now is um, is Michelle Obama. That's definitely one of my sort of archetypes, if if you want to call it that. And uh, resiliency, as already mentioned, is one of the The things that I that I learned quite early on that is that our community has and is needed to overcome some of the barriers that we we live through, and so um, Frida Kahlo was definitely one of my um, one of sort of the figures that I looked up to in addition to some of the folks in my immediate community.
1: Your answer really resonates with me we both grew up in the same area. And so I I think we're both the product of a migration that occurred to the Washington DC area in the eighties. And I think for a lot of young Latinas, they, we don't have that necessarily close example or role model in your immediate circle to look up to. And that's why I think it's so important to bridge that mentorship gap. So for you, what has that mentor, what does mentorship mean? And what do you, Um, do in your own either professional or personal life to make sure that the next generation is going to have those examples in a more immediate form
0: so to me mentorship means to give it to give it forward or to pay it forward that is something that i've my biggest philosophy philosophies and that i live by and one of the ways with which one can pay it forward is to provide mentorship. There's a lot of untapped talent within our communities and just the, the communities of color in general. And so providing that mentorship is really valuable. As I look back at, you know, my trajectory, I didn't have many mentorship opportunities. If anything, I have them more now where I am because I seek it. But at the time, I, you know, didn't know how to identify it. I didn't know how to ask for it. I didn't even know the value of it. And so, so the ways that I continue to pay it forward and mentor is I'm actually the, currently the chair of the organization called Latinas Leading Tomorrow. And it's an organization that started in the Virginia area. And we, we provide leadership programs, mentorship, um, and just, General skills um, development to young girls between the ages of 12 and 17, essentially uh, throughout middle school and high school, which are the formidable years for young girls and looking at statistics from the pay gap to to Latina, Latinas in general, um, that were the lowest paying of all women. Uh, really, I'm really really passionate about being able to, to continue to pay it forward and that is how I'm able to do it in addition to my participation with uh, WCAPS and with, um, uh, you know, w- with working from working with minority serving institutions to just even doing this podcast and sharing a little bit of my story. I think it really does uh, go a long way.
1: And I think you're absolutely right. And I think if everybody did a little bit more mentorship, it could go a long way and examples are just so powerful. I want to switch back to your transition after going abroad to Nicaragua and then choosing to pursue your master's. Is that correct? Yes. Could you talk a little bit about that process and what that was like for you?
0: Sure. So So the process didn't quite get easier as uh, I was navigating um, sort of my professional life. Uh, And the reason why I say that is just because of, you know, not, there not being many women uh, that are, that look like me that have positions that I may have access to. Um, And so I didn't really know anybody who had a career in international relations. I didn't really know, uh, what it really meant to um, to get into this field, and the reason why I say i didn't really quite know is because it's quite different than navigating the private sector and and just navigating business um, it's definitely a lot more privilege it's definitely a lot more um, uh, white for lack of a better word and and being strategic and a lot of the things that I, that I learned to do, I, it really uh, sort of kicked into high gear when I decided to pursue the masters. And so I had tapped into the Latino professionals uh, within this area. So that was really the, you know, that's been my strongest network among others, but I tapped into, into the, that network to to find people who I could talk to and get as much information as possible. Um, I, you know, I, throughout the trajectory, I realized that not having access to information is, is one of the biggest barriers that we have. And so I tried to ask as much questions as I could try to get, have an idea. And, um, and, and actually when I decided to do my master's, it was, going through the traditional application process route. When I did my undergrad, I did more of a, a night school kind of thing. So I didn't really do the traditional um, competitive, very rigorous process that one goes to in undergrad. And so, um, so that was a first for me. And it, it, really, it really taught me um, my, my commitment to what I wanted to do. And my resiliency, really. And so um, I was, you know, I, I have to be honest, I was actually quite um, doubtful that maybe I would get to the school that I really wanted to get into. And so I made a list, right? And I tried to be as strategic and thoughtful as possible. And so I went from the most rigorous and hardest to get into to what I felt wasn't as rigorous, but maybe it was more feasible. Um, just in case, you know, my, my number one choice school didn't work out. And it's ironic because my, my dream school at the time was Georgetown and I wanted to do, uh, the program, uh, the school of foreign service. And then while I was doing a bit more research is when I got to talking to the admissions, um, officer at SAIS at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. And I learned a bit more about their program. I knew a bit about it, but I I, I hadn't spoken to anybody because my mind was really set on Georgetown. Um, and it ended up happening that I got waitlisted at Georgetown and I got accepted into SAIS right away. And um, I'm actually glad it worked out the way that it did because it was an amazing experience and I got to live a year in Italy.
1: So I want to pull on a couple of threads there. So a lot of people who maybe haven't had the experiences that you have have a, a hard time maybe conceptualizing why – a graduate school experience can be isolating for someone who hasn't grown up in that kind of environment or who hasn't had exposure to that kind of acad- the academic nature of grad school. How would you explain what it means to be in that environment coming from the background that you come from?
0: It's definitely intimidating to say the least. Um, and it, and it, you know, I, I did my grad school a bit um, more of a seasoned professional, if you will, or at least that's how I felt. And yet it was still an experience that for me did feel a bit isolating. As as you mentioned, you kind of hit the nail on the head on that. Um, just because, you know, I went to school with, with folks, you know, international students who come from uh, a background of of great privilege and and perhaps access to the information knew right away that 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 CICE was a school that they wanted or perhaps their parent one of their parents went to SIS and that's how they learned about the program and wanted to follow in their footsteps and so for me it, it was a little bit challenging in that regard because I though I had my network already established by the time I was there. It really was a reminder of the the how far i've come and and how much more challenging it was for me to navigate and to it was a test of resiliency and i and I remember thinking there were you know all of us were struggling, and by means this was not um, any easier in terms of academic rigor um one person more than another, but granted, um, some folks, you know, had the access to a lot of, a lot of the, um, the rigor that some of us in the Latino community don't, don't have and aren't used to. And so there were moments where, you know, I said to myself, God, like, why does this have to be so hard? It just felt exceptionally hard on my spirit sometimes. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's been a test of, of true strength. And that's one of the things that I try to convey to the younger generation that I mentor and also to, uh, to provide that mentorship and, and ease that, that gap of access that we have to navigate through.
1: Mm -hmm. And the lack of access to information, I think, is key. And I think a lot of people would say, well, you have access to Google, so Google it. But the problem is that a lot of times, you don't know what you're supposed to be Googling. And so it makes it even more difficult for students who maybe have access to the resources they need to find out the information, but who don't know what information they're looking for how would you advise the next generation or women who are starting out in the field or who maybe don't know where they should go to grad school, what programs or scholarships are available to them? How do you start breaking that barrier down?
0: It's going back to, to give, paying it forward for, uh, for even the, our Latino community to look back and see how they're able to help. I've, I've really run into a lot of people within the community that feel oh i would love to to give back or i don't have time or i'd love to give back but honestly i don't really i'm not there yet i mean they sometimes people are under the misconception that they have to have this great title and this great experience to give back and that's not the case just the little bit that that we can we could share in terms of information is very valuable uh, and so, and from that perspective, I think that that that's something I continue to to aspire for myself and for others, and to and, and something I'm really passionate about. From another perspective, also is from even from the youth perspective. It's it's you know culturally we are raised not. We're not quite the same, you know, different, different, there's different variations within our community. But one of the things that I noticed is just being able to ask for information. Like, the, like people are amazed at how people are willing to share this information, how much people are willing to help when people ask help of them, right? And so not being afraid to ask questions, not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to be forthcoming with the fact that, you come from perhaps a underprivileged community, just, you know, being authentic, um, but yet also being brave enough to to want something more.
1: I 100% agree. And I think one of the things that you're talking about there, about people not feeling qualified to give information is something that as women, we run up against a lot in many different contexts, not feeling qualified to apply for a certain job, not feeling qualified to apply to a certain school. I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of telling ourselves no, rather than letting other people do that. Um, And so I think you were mentioning this with regards to the schools that you applied to and kind of ranking them in order of the ones that you thought you would get into there's a little bit of doubt there, an element of doubt. And I'm wondering how you would advise other women to surmount that and to really strive for what they really want, no matter how audacious or far-fetched it might seem.
0: I, you know, it's, it's, I feel like I don't have quite the answer just because there's just so much, it's always a work in progress, even for myself. But I do think that, that, being brave and just thinking it from the perspective of if one doesn't have the, the, the courage to move forward, uh, then, you know, there is no path or there is no... Um, we haven't paved the way for others right So I always think of it more of a responsibility than more of a me being audacious enough to to want to aspire for more. I think that that's sort of where from the perspective that I see it and so I think no this is really something I have to do um, How can I even teach uh, younger generations how to how to go after for after what they want if I can't even do the same um, And in terms of just, um, generally being confident in oneself, uh, you know, there's, everyone is still trying to figure it out, men and women alike. I just think that sometimes men tend to uh, play it off a little bit better or they tend to fake it till they make it a, a lot more than, than women because they, they, they want to wait until they're specifically qualified for that position. We're all learning. Um, and if the opportunity presents itself, I, I'm I'm a person that doesn't quite believe every uh, you know the coincidence exists. There is a reason why the opportunity came up, and if it did, um, that's why it's also important to to continue to learn to be prepared for when these opportunities happen. So when it's it's time to take it, you know we can definitely um, take it and and be confident that we've prepared for it we prepare for the moment to take on this, this new role.
1: Along that line, you know, what are some of the challenges that you faced in your career? Have there been moments where you haven't felt like you've had the opportunities you wanted or like you couldn't access them? Um, what were some of those challenges and how did you deal with them?
0: There, there have been some many of times where I've felt uh, due to my lack of access. I, I haven't, sometimes even when it comes to comparing, we, you know, we, I'm guilty of, of doing that at times. And I, I really believe that that's not, that's not something we should be doing. But um, in, in, you know, in the moments I've thought that, you know, if only I would have had the information, you know, that somebody who would, whose family is originally from here would have, has had, then things would have been a little bit easier but as I, as i always as as i also look back i i do recognize the the level of commitment and courage and strength that it has taken and that our community that's what makes our community quite unique right like going back to to how you know it takes all of that and more to Leave everything that one has to pursue something different in another country for a better opportunity that 's essentially what we 're doing right even as the the second generation are, um, to, to now do things a little bit different that 's essentially what we 're doing right we're, we, uh, we've, we're taking what we 've learned and, and and putting that to, to the test to continue to further for for subsequent generations and so um, for me, it's, it's a work in progress. It's, it's definitely being kind. One of the things that I'm very passionate um, as of late is empathy and, and one of the things that we have to learn also, not only to show empathy for others, but so much so for ourselves because we tend to be so hard on ourselves and it's a process, trust the process. Um, and, you know, and just don't, you know, feel... Like there is a wrong question, or or there's just ask all the questions out there. Now I, I you know I ask everything that there is that I need to know for me to really truly understand. And and the moments where I feel self doubt, I remember the moments that I have been brave, and I'm like I've been through worse. I can do this, and and I continue to forge forward.
1: So you mentioned empathy in your professional life. Do you, or in your personal life, do you think there is a role for empathy to play in the world of security studies? I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the academic framing of things and acronyms and technical terms. Is there a role for empathy to play?
0: Absolutely. In fact, um, this is one of the, the topics that I have been involved lately with uh, some colleagues from SICE that um, we developed a, a workshop for for the women's SICE um, Women Leadership Initiative um, housed at, at CICE, uh to impart um, empathy and, and teach it and how it's relevant and it's not just something that needs to be um, taught within the the um, lens of gender, right? It's something that, that it needs to, uh, it's obviously something that's gendered. It's definitely something that having empathy is considered a a female trait at times and that there is no room for that in foreign policy. Uh, But I definitely think that our issues um, are a manifestation of our lack of empathy at times. And when we say that there are no room for emotions, that's not true. There is definitely emotional decisions that are made and people don't acknowledge that. So we have to acknowledge the fact that we sometimes operate from a very emotional standpoint. And so how can we use that and leverage that to have more empathy and be more effective when it comes to policy, foreign policy uh, decisions?
1: So, you had mentioned recognizing some of the unique hurdles that you faced in your own personal and academic trajectories. How do you recognize and acknowledge that those difficulties exist and that there are certain challenges that you will face that perhaps your peers won't, without becoming jaded about your circumstance and maintaining optimism?
0: It's actually a very thin line because there's definitely um, conversations I've had with people who are jaded or who people, uh, there's a difference are there's different scenarios. There's people who are completely um, oblivious to it. There's people who are aware of it and use that to make change. And then there's others who use that and become jaded and feel like there, there is no room for change. It is what it is. Um, And so I definitely think that showing oneself empathy and there's also, you know, even within just international relations and foreign policy, one cannot allow themselves to become jaded. I think that that's, you know, when people in whatever capacity that they that they are in, in their careers, the moment that they become jaded, that's when the person is no longer, no longer has the ability to really effectuate change. You really have to have a certain level of optimism to to actually make a difference. And that's not always going to be the case, but always remembering that, in the moment that one loses that, that hope that, that that's when our ability to effectuate change really is impacted. So always remembering that, always being aware and always being dedicated to learning. Um, even though I'm quite familiar with the Latino community context you know, there's other, there's definitely, I believe in intersectionality, there's definitely other communities um, of color that are, that are definitely going through other challenges and how we can learn from, from that and how we can be more inclusive of not just our own community communities, but of others to be even more effective.
1: I want to switch back now to the work that you're currently doing. Could you tell us a little bit about the organization you're working for, the kind of work you're doing, and maybe what your day-to-day looks like?
0: Sure. So I'm currently at Strategic Capacity Group, and I'm a senior program officer leading a community-oriented policing project in the Sahel the Sahel region of Western Africa. And um, it's a little bit of a, of a change from my background in Latin America, but you know that, that is also um, a manifestation of my commitment to continue to learn and, and, and that sort of thing. And so um, the organization has a more of a educational mission, if you will, and it's, and it's very dedicated to building institutional capacity of foreign governments um, as it relates to security sector institutions and I'm working on, an, on a project that focuses on involving the community and how the communities can work a bit better with the security institutions that in many countries there is there is uh, a deep distrust based on history, based on instability and the security institutions aren't effective, and therefore the instability is, you know, is perpetuated. And I can't necessarily say that I have quite a day to day. I there's definitely a very interesting, you know, this is very interesting work, and I, I felt like I've been um, been on my toes and learning and and really understanding um more this regional new regional context for me and i'm going it's going to require me to do a little bit more traveling than i have before uh, to africa and some of the countries that we're working in so i'm really very much looking forward and yeah i think um it's work that i have you know slowly but surely within my trajectory have have narrowed a little bit more into um, what I I wanna do. I've realized how committed I have been with my own education. So I really do believe in the organization's educational mission and it it aligns perfectly with my wanting to help others. And so I'm, I'm really excited for the work that I'm doing.
1: I'm glad you got to marry your interest in education with that of security studies. I think that's a very powerful and unique thing. In the coming years, how do you hope to see the field of foreign policy change, if at all? Are there any things that you want to see be different in a decade, let's say?
0: I hope things are different. I think that things need to be different in order to address the ever-changing issues that we are facing and continue to face. Uh, I I do look forward and I'm very excited to to the work that WCAPS is doing and how it's manifesting in the world. And a prime example of that is very, uh, you know, here in our our very own home with um, a board diverse uh, Congress and incorporating some of these unique perspectives. The fact that there hasn't really been that much diversity and change in areas that really need it um, is something that I think it's, it's sort of, it's, it's very much needed and it's sort of about time to that, that, you know, we incorporate and we continue to push to incorporate more um, women of color perspective in particular. And so I am optimistic. I, I am mean by nature and I do think that from, you know, in 10 years from now, it's definitely, like we're going to see the changes that these diverse perspectives are bringing. And I'm very excited about that.
1: I hope you're right. Um, The other day I was having coffee with a Latina who is a PhD candidate focusing on security studies, and we spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to come up with the name of another Latina who was also working in the security field, and we could not think of a single one. So in the coming decade, do you see that changing, and do you think it's an important part to emphasize having more Latinas in the foreign policy space, and why?
0: Whether it's going to change, I do think whether it's going to change at the pace that we think it should change or I think should change is another story uh, in that regard i don't I, I don't necessarily consider myself pessimistic, but I do consider myself realistic and um, and the only thing that really is left is to continue to mentor, to continue to push forward sort of this access to information within these um, communities of color and to pave the way and open doors for these women to transition into these positions of, uh, within the security field. And I think that that is very possible.
1: As we wrap up here, I wanna ask you, what advice would you give young women of color who are just starting out in the field or who are thinking about getting
0: involved in security? <laughs> My initial thought is you're in for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if anything, if there's, if there's a few things that I've, I've learned to live by um, that, that haven't really steered me wrong, I would say to... To definitely help others and pave the way for others. Work hard definitely does pay off. It sounds so cliche, but it does. Uh, being strategic. Strategic has been something very key that I've learned, um, you know, throughout my career that I wish I, I, I would have learned earlier on. But it's something that I definitely think, um, you know, things from having contacts to having sort of, even the interactions and the access to some of these people who will allow for continuous access to the information and to the people and to the opportunities, that is all based on um, a very strategic position that we have to learn how to navigate as um, when people of color and as women. And resiliency, it's something that, you know, when we're up against. Uh, challenges and barriers it's it 's something that we will will h- help us guide through the journey and not allow us to give up
1: Thank you for that and my last question, what does success mean to you?
0: Success means to me success is to to really follow one's not only passions, but aspirations. Uh, There is no such thing as failure as many say, Um, there is no such thing as failure unless you give up. And for me to being able to succeed in reaching certain milestones in life, in pushing through the barriers and being courageous, to me that is very successful.
1: Well, Ileana, on that note, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and share your experience. I'm sure we'll be hearing more amazing things from you in the future. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really did enjoy conversing and getting to know you. And hope, hopefully I'm able to have another opportunity to, to give back a little bit of what I've learned.
1: Thank you so much. Have a good night.
0: Thanks. You too. Thank you for joining Women of Color, Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit wcaps.org. That's W-C-A-P-S